My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 67 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everyone, on this week's show we look at how we can apply the great Arthur Lydiard's coaching approach to the trails and mountains with Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland and we welcome winner of the Morris Mullins 80k trial race for the World Championships in Austria in June, Ricky Wynn for one of the most inspiring interviews you'll hear this year. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go! Hey guys, hope you're all well and what a race it was at the Morris Mullins, one of the highlights of the year on the Irish mountain and trail running scene. So a big congrats to race director Richard Noonan and the team of volunteers from Inmarth that helped to put on that race and what a competitive race it was with tickets for the plane to the World Championships in Austria up for grabs. In the female 50k race, Elizabeth Wheeler was first with Jan Corcoran and Laura O'Driscoll in second and third place. In the men's race, Edna Cloak was first. Adam Cunningham and Barry McAvoy took the remaining places on the podium. And all six athletes mentioned there have been selected for the Irish 42km team at the World Championships. As well as friend of the podcast from episode 61, John Kinsella, who was fourth in the trial race. And that combined with John's other impressive results over the last two years was enough to see John selected as well. In the big one, in the 80k race, the top three positions in the ladies' race went to Aoife Mundoan first, Becky Quinn second, and Sarah Brady third, with all three ladies there heading to the World Championships as a result. And in the men's race, Ricky Wynn, who is coming up now shortly as our special guest this week, came first. Dylan McAvoy second and Killian Fleming third and Gavin Byrne doing enough in fourth place to also guarantee his spot along with the top three lads there to book their places in Austria. What a fantastic day of racing it must have been and this shorter course, the short course trial, that race is coming up in a few weeks time in Ballyhura and if you're listening and not sure whether to, to give a trial race like that a go, Go for it. You never know. You might surprise yourself. And if you don't make an Irish team this year, by getting the experience of going out and doing these trial races, you might make a team next year or the year after. But either way, you will have a great day of mountain racing with Robbie Williams and all the team there and all the organising team there. So best luck to everybody getting ready for the short course trial races for the World Championships in Austria this summer. And just to mention for the juniors as well, the Imre committee and in particular Elizabeth Wheeler have put together a fantastic junior development workshop on Saturday the 15th of April in Glendalough with Ireland's world leading mountain runners Sarah McCormick and Zach Hanna present. They will be giving talks on transitioning to hill training and opportunities in mountain running and as well as lots of other things going on that day. So if you have any 15 or 19 year olds that might be interested 
do sign them up before Friday the 7th of April and full details of that and all the recent race results are on the IMRA website imra.ie before we call in Rene a big thank you to Aoife Nimuelon and Kevin Doyle who became Patreons since our last show Thank you guys for helping to keep us going and a massive thank you, as I always do, every show, well deserved to all of our Patreons who tune in every week and support the show every month. If you would like to support the show and help us to grow and promote mountain running and trail running in Ireland, do please pop over to Patreon when you have a moment and your support is very, very welcome. Every month we always get at least one or two people coming on board. So for just three euros a month, you can help to keep the show going, help to keep the podcast going. So why not be one of those two people this month if you can? Right, so let's call in our first guest of today from Running Coach Ireland. It's Rennie Borg. Rennie Bork from Running Coach Ireland. Rennie, great to have you back on the show. And we've got a very interesting topic to talk about today. Yes, we're going to talk about Lydiard um, and Lydiard for trail runners. So we probably owe the listeners a little bit of explanation because we have a lot of long-term listeners who are very experienced. So the moment they hear the words, there will be strong emotions stirring inside, you know, either of great admiration or, as I've seen on a few occasions, a, a dislike. We can talk about that a little bit, I think, going when we talk about what is this Lydiard thing. But it obviously refers to Arthur Lydiard, who yeah. was called the founder, the father of jogging, um, although that was one of his kind of later achievements. But many consider him, in many ways, the modern father of periodization in running. So taking different training stimuli, focusing on them one at a time in, in the right sequence, and trying to then peak people at the at the right time. Um, that many consider he was the first one to really put that into writing in a formalized system. Uh, his detractors wrongly, as I think we will go into, have would have associated him with lots of easy mileage, 100 mile weeks uh, for weeks and weeks on end. But either way, he, he was a great character. Uh, it seems a very charismatic person, had a very interesting life. Um, interesting enough that a whole foundation of people who used to work with him or who've worked with people who work with him directly has sprung up. I think it was about a few decades ago, Owen, um, and they, they call the Lydiard Foundation. And they, you and I, I, I attended their training course 12 years ago. The very first one they had, it was a Lydiard Foundation Invitational in Boulder, Colorado. So that was obviously a nice little trip anyway, for those who know the place. It's a beautiful spot among uh, hills and trails. But also, um, it was the beginning of them wanting to preserve the integrity of his teachings. Because anything, as we know, there's Chinese whispers in any message that passes between more than <clears throat> two people. So they were worried that the message he had written down would become diluted over time. So I thought that was very admirable. And we love the course, myself and Jason Keogh, uh, who went over back then. And I know you've been through it um, recently, Owen. And, and that inspired me to do it again, just to kind of get a refresher and see where it was all at. So we were kind of energized about this man, his legacy, his training, and talking about what it means for trail runners. 
Yeah, it was a very enjoyable course, Irene. The, it was the level one and level two coaching course, and it, it was run by two very interesting people. Colin Lancaster, who's a very successful coach in the UK, and he was a training partner of Steve Ovet back in the 70s and 80s, so lots of good experience there. And I, I really enjoyed listening to Lorraine Muller who is a disciple of the Lydiard way of training. And for anybody who doesn't know Lorraine, she, she was a four-time Olympian with, uh, with New Zealand. And she got the bronze medal, I think, in 1992 when she won the Boston Marathon. So, so to be chatting to her for a couple of hours every Monday night was fantastic. And sure, Lydiard might have produced all these track Olympic medalists and successful road runners. But as I was doing the course and as you've gone through his books and other courses you've done as well, so much of the training philosophies and principles, we can apply to the mountains and the trails as well. And maybe what we could kick off with Rennie is, is bringing people through maybe the, the key principles of Lydiard training and how, how they applied to all these wonderful Olympic gold medalists in the 60s and 70s before the domination of the East Africans came along. It was it was a core group of, of Lydiard's athletes who, who were winning all these titles. And as I was doing the course and learning more about him, he, he kind of reminded me of maybe what was what's going on now in the Skibbereen Rowing Club down down in, in the south of Ireland, where this this one place is producing all these incredible rowers. And that's very similar to what Arthur Lydiard, Lydiard did in, in, in from this one area of New Zealand that for some reason, well, it's because of his successful coaching methods, he produced all of these international class Olympic medalists and so on. So it, it's a great way to train. It's nearly a surefire way of having a successful long-term running career as well. And I think the listeners will really benefit from doing a little bit of, bit of research on it and maybe getting a, a kickstart on it today from ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Like we have five principles that we can talk through you know and that's that's one of it kind of that's based on one of the key things you said that training is not about formulas it's about principles but through those principles he did lay out a fairly specific journey that he thought every athlete needed to go through because he found through experience that certain adaptations had to be done before you did other ones and doing them in a different sequence was not the optimal way and it was not a predictable way to bring people to to the race and peak condition which he was all about but there's no doubt that you know is that most of the champions that he had they live within a few miles of his house and he was very proud of that because he said it wasn't that he had the pick of the cream of new zealand um it really was just that he he brought the best out of the athletes that were in the local area. And of course, as they got successful, there were one or two who came from a little bit further afield. And yeah. that was a mixture of his training principles and I think his personality and ability to read and inspire people. You know, that's often forgotten when we talk about the great coaching methodologies that in the hands of a lesser person, if you want, it sometimes fails because it's you have to be you have to communicate principles accurately and you have to have the force of personality to give people the self-belief to stick to it. And I think it's very, the, the Lydia Foundation, are, in many ways, they, they explain some of the things slightly differently than his old books from the 50s and 60s. 
But I think that's a good idea because they're trying to explain it in a way that anyone can understand it and run with it. Yeah, the, and the, the key part of the this training structure is it's the very first stage, Renny, I think, isn't it? The, the aerobic conditioning as the foundation for all future success. And I think a lot of people nowadays, we, we want to be able to run fast quickly. We want to be able to race quickly as well. And we want to be able to do well in our race this season. But aerobic conditioning, it can, first of all, in a, any particular season, it needs time to develop, to nurture before you, you'll develop that strength and power to go on and run fast in a couple of months time. But also the aerobic conditioning that lady I spoke about, it can take place over years and years. And it doesn't necessarily depend on what pace you're running in your zone one and zone two, that we get all these fantastic um, metabolic changes at all of the different slow paces, all of the different gears, but we do need to stay at a certain level. And for us, for what we've been talking about on the podcast for a long time now is zone one and zone two. And that that first phase of Lydiard is so important, the aerobic conditioning. Yes, and it, it's it's they, the way they explain it is that you your ability to generate energy is determined by how efficiently you can produce oxygen, and that they want to maximize that first. And it's kind of very common sense. Lydiard, before he knew physiology, said he first wanted people to reach a tireless state where they could just run and run and run and have lots of energy for it. And he saw that as the foundation for actually doing all the quality work. So it, it wasn't that he was all about, you know, endless zone one and zone two running, uh, not at all. But he wanted to make sure that people, first of all, had extremely well-developed endurance so that they could actually benefit from the things that come next. Um, and what the Lydiard Foundation have shown is that, you know, it, it, they, they've kind of, what I really enjoyed was the beginner's example zone, because I think that's often forgotten. You pick up the book and you go straight to his marathon conditioning week, which is an example of a, you know, a seven days of running. But you forget there's a lot of people come in and they're not even running five minutes, you know, and, yeah. and I thought they, they explained that very well. That you, and so did Lydia, actually, if people tended to skip that chapter, that first you just had to, people could just start by running five minutes out the road and five minutes back. And if you can come back roughly as fast as you went out at the same effort, it was probably within your capabilities. Um, and then you would always aim, and this is what the foundation preaches now as well, first get the beginners up to one hour. And don't worry about anything else at that stage, you know, no fancy stuff. Just get people comfortably running an hour and then get them to an hour and a half. And at that stage, they can kind of go into this whole training pyramid, you, you know, where there is other training stimuli coming on board that are the ones we like to talk about because they're more interesting. But even at that stage, they say, don't do the real severe high intensity training, like high intensity intervals. Wait for that until people are able to run two hours. That's kind of what they consider the level where you're ready for the full journey. Yeah. And yeah. they have a they, so they have kind of a shortened journey for people who are not quite there. And I thought that's very useful for, for because a lot of people find themselves in that situation. Yeah. It, it, it's a lovely aim, Renny, isn't it? To, to get to that gold standard of being able to do 60 minutes 
during your weekday runs and hitting two hours for your weekend runs. If you can do that, it is a fantastic indicator that you can probably go on then and, and attack harder sessions. Um, and I think for, for people maybe who are listening who have, say, their main trail or mountain races for maybe, say, later on in the summertime, a UTMB, a Eco Trail, Seven Sisters, Kerryway Ultra, a question that came up a lot during the course was, well, but guys, you know, can people race during this aerobic conditioning phase? Because it's a long time just to be running in zone one and zone two. And 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 Lorraine and Colin, they were encouraging people. Yeah, sure. Every couple of weeks, go out and race. Now, you know, you, you mightn't be at PB level and don't go to the well and leave yourself absolutely wiped out for these races. But because you're actually, if you get your aerobic conditioning right, and especially if you're in year three or year four of your um, Lydiard training, you'll always have that strength to, to do any type of 5K race, 10K race, hill race that might be say, anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes. You can still race, but just to control it and not to have any too high of expectations, you know, that you're just going through the process and you'll be ready for your peak race. But absolutely, you can enjoy some races along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like what Steve Coe, uh, Sebastian Coe used to say, you know, if you race during this period, you just call it information, you know, and uh, yeah. don't take it too seriously. But I think even the for, for beginners, they mentioned in the the last call I was on, he talked, it's he said it's if they want to go do a park run instead of some of the Saturday out and backs that are in the traditional Lydiard schedule. It's no problem. And also usually because beginners are not that fast, you know, so that means when they go do a park run, they're not going to murder themselves with intensity. Yeah. Uh, a little bit like children, in a sense, they don't have very well developed anaerobic systems anyway. And that means it's quite limited in how much you can hurt yourself. Then yeah. the people who are much more at risk of that are the, the, the you could say the, the, the prize runners, the ones who have actually quite powerful energy um develops musculars and all these things you know maybe they came from a team sport before maybe they're quite young these people can go out and if they overdo the racing in the early part of training this is really what Lydia was warning off then they will burn off their condition before they have actually maximized maximized it at all um so th this was more where the whole idea of let's let's limit racing but I think a lot of today, there is a lot of other approaches that mirror Lydia, you know, like Maffetone, where it's a bit more extreme, actually, where they say no anaerobic running at all for the marathon conditioning. And that's not what the Lydiard Foundation preaches. And it's also not what Lydiard had in his original schedules. So in that base period that we've talked about many times, there was, for the guys who ran seven days a week, there was a half effort run, which is kind of like a marathon pace run. And there was a three quarter effort run, which is kind of like a threshold run. Mm -hmm. And then there was a fart lake, which a New Zealand fart lake uh, was actually just a, a run with strides. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. there was actually some interesting stuff there and they did go through different paces. They also ran a lot of the... Uh, the course is over varied terrain. So they ran on grassland. They ran their long run on quite a hilly course. So pe people don't need to worry that the whole idea with the, the basic first approach of Lydia training is not to spend 10, 12 weeks just being bored, jogging slowly on the flat. Yeah, yeah. It's more sophisticated than that. Yeah. And um, his second principle, Rennie, as well, I think is so important. And I think we can all learn so much from it. It's response regulated adaptation now what does that mean it means 
checking in daily <laughs> with how your body is feeling, with how your legs is feeling. And that if you have a hard run scheduled for a Wednesday, for example, and you wake up on Wednesday, your your resting heart rate maybe is four or five beats higher than it should be. You're just feeling flat out. It's it's the having the strength um, to say, no, I'll wait until t- Thursday or Friday to do that hard run. And I suppose maybe that's where Lydiard came in with his athletes, where if he identified an athlete maybe looking a bit sluggish or having a little bit of a niggle, he would have said, OK, no, son, not today. You're not running hard today. And because I think as athletes, and we're all guilty of this, we'll all push on as much as we can until we break. <laughs> And sometimes that's why you need that coach there to say, no, listen, just because it's in the training diary, um, it doesn't it doesn't mean it needs to be done today. Let's wait until tomorrow or let's wait until the weekend till we do that hard training session. So important to successful running. Yeah, it's crucial. And it's in all the phases and they go into that a lot on the course. But for instance, he said back then about in the marathon conditioning phase, he says that the long, steady running that I term marathon training is designed to create a state of fatigue, though not so great as to interfere with the next day's program. You should be able to recover reasonably quickly. So, I mean, he gave these guys very clear instructions about, you know, this is what you should feel like the next day. And if you don't feel like that, then you didn't do it right. And Lorraine and Colin on the call, you know, spend a lot of time when we get to the later phases, you know, where we get the interval training, preaching the same message, but for those workouts, you know, and this is something we've talked about as well. If you overdo high intensity workouts, instead of being ready to do something, let's say moderate 48 hours later or three days at most, it might take you four or five days until you feel in any way. Okay. And, and that's a, that is just as important to get, if not more important than getting, you know, the high level plan, right is having yeah. that understanding. And it's something that I, I put a lot more emphasis on at a club level as well. Um, because I noticed for the last few years, I started to notice that there was, I thought, more niggles creeping in in the squad than I like to see. And I, I knew you know, it wasn't all my fault because I only really get people one or two days a week. Yeah. Um, but I still thought, can I do something as the coach of this team to try and bring this down? So I really started to design the sessions and ram home this message that, guys, I want you to stop uh, when you have one more left, for instance. And whenever we had any kind of hard period in terms of, of racing for the squad, the sessions were designed in a way that really encouraged people to be conservative. Yeah. You know, to just say, and that that is something that my favorite message, which is the third principle, um, was the practice response regulated workouts. So balance key workouts with the right amount of recovery. And the right amount of recovery means that you don't do the next stimulus that is moderate or hard until you feel like you're just that little bit stronger than you were before the last one. And they show that nice, obviously, on colorful graphs in the course. So it's a bit harder to get across here, but it basically means that you need to be in constant positive feedback loops. Yeah. And you can, so if you're constantly feeling better and stronger, more energized, and the workouts you're doing, even if they're challenging, they leave you energized and excited afterwards. Then you're in a positive feedback loop. But if you make everything so hard or you overdo everything so much that you're constantly feeling beat, you're doubting yourself, um, then that's an, that's the opposite of Lydia training, essentially, because then you're not practicing that response-regulated training. 
Yeah, it, it takes the joy out of training, doesn't it? Renny, do you mind if we leave it at that for today? And maybe we could do this segment as part one of our overview of the of the Lydiard training and the five principles. Just I'm conscious, Renny, I scheduled an English class at four o'clock. And in case the listeners don't know, I teach a little bit of English over here in, in sunny Grand Canaria. And I've got a student coming in the door in about two minutes time. My fault, Renny, for, for talking too much about all the gossip of trail running Ireland back home before we got our proper chat going. So maybe in our next show, we could then do part two of our Lydiard training review. Would that be okay? Yes, we will do the, the final two uh, principles then, which is sequentially develop your energy systems and apply the correct timing. And I think that'll be a nice, interesting chat because we can then go into how would the phases actually look uh, adapted for trail running specifically compared to what you can read in the books, which is generally for track and road. Yeah. Let, let's do that. So, okay, Renny, thanks a million for that today. I'm looking forward to continuing that Lydiard chat in about what, in about two weeks time. All right, Owen, take care, enjoy the class. Time for our special guest today, and well, he needs no introduction. He is a Guinness World Record holder on the mountains, a constant on the podiums of trail races all over the country, and an inspiration to many people with the upbeat and can-do attitude that he has. He's one of my favourite interviews on the podcast to date, and you'll see why. Ricky, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast, a long overdue invitation. Delighted to have you here, Ricky. And Ricky, can I just start off by, by saying a thank you for keeping me company this morning on my Saturday morning run. Ricky, it, it was the best run I had in about two months and no doubt it, it was because of yourself. I was listening to the podcast that you did a couple of years ago with John O'Regan and his No Finish Line podcast and it was just full of energy. It was full of, full of positivity. And you were a great company on the run. So hopefully people listening to you today will get that same bounce, that same jump of energy that, that I got listening to you this morning. Uh, thanks a million. Yeah, look, I've uh, actually always wanted to do this podcast because to me, this is a great podcast. And then just to mention about John O'Regan's one, like that went down really well a couple of years ago. And in fairness to John, John's always kind of backed me, you know, because there was a couple of times before I was on that podcast with John that I had a few DNFs and it was looking like, oh, he's one of these guys that just goes out too hard and blows up and he, he doesn't know what he's doing. But John stuck with me, watched what I was doing and realized that I don't just fail. Like when I fail, I fail forward, you know, and he thought that was pretty cool. So it was great to do the podcast with him and I'm sure it'll be great to do the podcast with you. Yeah, and uh, so in that podcast, Ricky, you spoke about your your beginnings in the sport, how you switched over from Gaelic football from when you were around 32, and I think you're just maybe in your early 40s now. It's a great story, and it's a common story that probably so many listeners have, but maybe people don't start running as late as you do at 32, and I might encourage people to go back to that podcast to listen to your to your beginning story, if you like. And today, Ricky, I'd love to, to focus on where you are now and um, the last couple of months and where you want to go to. And I might just maybe start off the conversation with that big, big win you had last weekend in, in Morris Mullins in the ATK. It was exciting looking at the results coming in. And I suppose, Ricky, tell me, was that one of your biggest wins? Was that a massive goal for you? 
I suspect it was with a ticket to the World Championships up for grabs. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying I always make a goal at the start of the year. So I say, look, this is what I want to happen, right? And there's a couple of things that you could have three or four goals in the year. Goal number one was get an Irish jersey. And that was goal number one. I'm 40 years of age. And it, like so many people have said, I don't know, maybe you're just too old. I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I always say, if I say something out loud, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen if I say it out loud. So I said it. I said I want an Irish jersey. I said it to so many people that I know. I said it to my wife. And lo and behold, I got selected to run in the Anglo-Celtic plate, which is on this weekend, actually. And uh, I got selected to run for that. And in fairness, that was John O'Regan putting his faith in me again. And just he selected me on current form, as in I had done well in a couple of races last year. And it'd be interesting to see how I do on the road 100K. And that was great. And that was I was all going home for that. It was like a green jersey. That's it. It's coming my way. But at the same time, I wanted to represent Ireland on the trails more than more so than on the roads. So yeah. Morris Mullins then came up. I saw that that was coming up. I, I knew it was going to be a qualifying race. And I said, that's it. I'm going for that. So I got in touch with John. And I said, John, look, more than likely, I'm not going to do the Anglo-Celtic plate. And like to me, that was a huge risk because I could have ended up failing, not qualifying for Ireland in the trails. And then giving up my jersey in the on the roads and be left with no jersey, you know. So it was a huge risk. But at yeah. the same time, like I, I I knew what I needed to do to put myself in a good position to finish in the top four. So I just trained my ass off, really, you know. Sure. And Ricky, can I just jump in and ask, was this year the first year that you set that target? Because You've been on podiums for four or five years now. You've had some big wins and in the big trail and ultra races back home. Everybody has been following your career. But as far as I can as far as I know, and I think you just confirmed it there, you, you haven't ran before before for Ireland, where it looks like you, you you've been in the form before. You've been you've got the results before to maybe try and get that green singlet. So so why now? Why this year? Uh I did actually try. I did try um, in 2019 and I was, I think, um, two or three minutes outside the qualifying time. It was uh, over the marathon distance down in Ballyhora. And that's just like, I always say that you find your niche, you know, and then you do everything humanly possible to be very good at that niche. As in, I'm pretty fast over the long distance you know but yeah. to say like i've got a 236 marathon a 236 marathon is not going to win a marathon most marathons, it's not going to win you know so yeah. on the trails a 236 marathon is pretty quick but trail runners are getting faster and faster and over 50k i think there's so many guys that are just a little bit quicker than me but over 80k i think i can hold that pace you know that sort of that almost threshold pace for a very very long period of time so that's where like i'm pretty good on the 50 mile to 100k i think that i i don't think there's too many lads in ireland that can that can beat me over that distance of course there's a few but i think i can hold my own in that distance so this year was the first year you could qualify for the long course for the world championships and that's that's really why i was i set all my targets kind of for that race you know Okay, and it, it sounds like 
it, it was it was the perfect year for you, Ricky, because what I what I heard in the in the interview with John and from just reading about you that you you've been running since you've been since you were thirty two years of age. And you've done the, the the way you've trained over the last eight or nine years. There's been so much aerobic base building, and people say, you know, coaches say, the top coaches say, you can be base building aerobic conditioning for anywhere up to nine or ten years before you hit your peak. And all those twenty k's that you did in the Royal Canal in Dublin at four minutes per kilometer, all those <laughs> miles and miles um, on the hills. Do you think you're actually at your peak now? Now, you know, I'm sure you've got more to go, but it looks like you're you're stronger now than you ever have been. And that showed with the way you, you took down the field last weekend. Yeah, see, the, the, the very, the, one of the things I like about me is that I'm very patient, as in I knew that like when I started running, this is going to take a while, you know, but if you stick with it, and you keep doing it, and as I say, you keep showing up, you know, it's going to happen. Like, good things will happen if you keep putting the work in. And I'm a big believer in you don't need to do that many hard, hard workouts to get really fit. I think that the aerobic engine is way more important than the the threshold work and stuff like that. I think that, of course, that's all relevant, you know, in the shorter races and even in the lower, longer races. But I'm a big believer in it you build a big engine, you know, you build that big engine and you can go forever. And if you can run forever, there's not too many lads that are going to keep with you. You'll break them down eventually, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a great photograph of you last weekend Ricky, on, on the Imre Facebook page. And you can see the joy um, as you cross that finish line, booking your seat on the plane to the world championships. Um, are, you, are you somebody like myself, you know, born in the, in the eighties, we grew up with great sporting icons, the likes of Sonia Sullivan, Eamon Coughlin towards the end of his career, Italian 90. And for me, it meant so much every time I ran for Ireland. Um, was, were all those great figures, were they inspiring you? Like, is it really a dream come true to, to get that green jersey? And was that inspiring you during those six hours and 56 minutes last weekend? Well, I'll tell you, like, it is definitely. I've done some cool things and I swear since I started running every year I have said this out loud that that's the best year of my life that's the best year of my life that's the best year that was by far and away the coolest thing I've ever done like to I've never been so proud like that I actually get to run for my country to represent my little town here from Shambo you know my little small athletic club like to represent Ireland for everybody for my wife for my mom and dad for my two brothers just like definitely one of the proudest moments of my life, you know. But yeah, like yeah. it was so funny coming up to the finish line. I had met a couple of people, da da, and like emotions were running high, right? And like I almost start crying. Like I actually almost start tearing up. Like, and I just said to myself, "Come on, man, you're not American. Come on, pull it, pull it back in a little bit. Pull it back in a little bit." But then when I got closer to the finish line, I was like, "I've done it. I've actually, I've actually won this race." Like, because. To me, like Morris Mullins is a huge event. Like it's, I think, it, like by far and away, it's the biggest Imra event on the calendar. I think it's the yeah. one that everybody wants to win, and to to be in a race with like the likes of Gavin Byrne, Keith Lane, Shane Kenny. Like there was so many good runners there. Dillian, Dylan McAvoy, there, the South African lad that's already run for Ireland. You know, there was so much competition, and to come out on top, 
like it, it was a huge huge moment for me yeah definitely yeah I, I, i've got goosebumps listening to you describe it uh it's it's fantastic to hear ricky and for any of the, the younger guys that might be listening or even any of the guys that are right up there at the top and you know maybe they're just looking for a little bit of inspiration to make that next step up but d- there you have it um it reminds me of the time when i got my first cap for ireland i think i, I only came third now and um, when i got my cap in the in the in the in the trial race but my dad was at the finish line at the top of the mountain so to see my dad there went when i came across the line in third place Knowing that I made the squad, this was back in 2010. That, like yourself, it's it's a moment that that I'll never ever um forget. Um, just in terms of the race itself, Ricky, how did it go for you? Were, were you in control from the start last weekend, or was there a pack of you fighting for that? Um, for those top places, when did you make your move? Yeah, it was um because again, you're coming up against some great runners, and like they're, they're it's a funny community. Yeah, we say like Gavin. Lane guys like this they're my friends you know I consider them like my my friends and I, I've got to know them so well over the last few years got to race against them a couple of times got to s- share some miles so you know these guys are good like you know and you know that on their day they could win that race you know hands down I think there was nine or ten lads there that on their day could win that race so it's very cagey start and the but the only thing was I had wrecked that course so many times. Like I spent so many weekends on the course and uh, I put a lot of time into it. Jeez, I'm not a big data man, but I mean, I had a lot of time on feet on the course and that yeah. really stood to me. So like from the word go, we all took off gap and took a good lead just to sort of, I'd say, get the thing moving and see who was going to come. And, um, and we stayed as a group pretty much for maybe 27k and then it sort of just split out a little bit but there was a lot of to and fro and there was a lot of guys who would say where i'd be out front for a lot for maybe four or five k and it was like yeah i've got a 90 second lead there but mm, it's like the peloton you know they're coming don't get too carried away you know and then all of a sudden nine lads would pass me out and they'd be charging up a hill and i'd be like all right you know what you need to do i knew what pace i needed to be running so i'm i'm all about average pace i think average pace wins race right so Uh, like I'm very aware of my pace and for that section of the course. And I was thinking if I get back to Piers Gate in 250 or slightly under, I'm in a good place, you know, and then, and then the race starts. So we got back to Piers Gate, I think in something like 245. So that was nice. And it was a very, very quick handover of bottles. Uh, There was a guy there crewing for me, Connor O'Neill. He crewed for me. He handed me my bottle and then I was first first back out and I, I saw Keith Lane and I just said to Keith, I said, are we first out? Are we the first out? And he goes, yeah, yeah I think so. So then I just started heading towards the, the sleepers going up through Ballastow Woods and I noticed there was nobody really behind me. So I, I says, I should look to be here in a minute, whatever, you know, it's still very early in the race. And I says, to be here in a minute. And I got as far as Joust. So I looked back and there was a nice gap between me and second place. And I think it was Killian Fleming from Cork. He was in second. And there was a nice gap back to him. So I was there, look, don't get carried away again. They'll probably just catch up. You just keep doing what you're doing. You know what you need to do in this section. But just slowly but surely, I started pulling away and pulling away. And then I got to the turnaround point. And the turnaround point is great because then you can see who's coming behind you. So as I was coming back up from the bridge in Glen Cullen, I saw that Dylan... McAvoy, the South African lad, he was in second. 
and then Killian was in third with a bit of a gap back to him. So I had about a minute, maybe two minutes on on Dylan. So I says, okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing, but slightly pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Because I felt that my climbing legs were very strong because of the training I had put in. I just felt like I was pretty strong on the climb. So I says, just keep pushing until you get to Crone. And then when you get to Crone, see where you are. And then when I got to Crone, I was able to gauge that I had about a five-minute lead on Dylan. So I was after whatever, just opening up. But I wasn't trying to push hard. I wasn't trying to run like outside of the box, if you know what I mean. I was trying to stay calm, control, keep the heart rate down. And I was trying to keep fueling. I was fueling very, very well. Like I had a great day with my nutrition. Everything worked really well. Yeah. And then that was it. Once I got as far as um, Dargal, Dargal River, you know where you are then. You know that you've just got to get up Jouse. You get up the top of Jouse and there's nobody behind you. You're home and dry, you know, and yeah. that's exactly how it went. I got up the top of Jouse. I looked behind me. I saw a red pair of shorts and I knew it was Dylan, but he was too far back. And like at that moment, I was like, I, I'm going to win this race. You know, I'm actually going to win this race. And it was it was unbelievable, man. Like as, as anyone, if anyone's seen like I was, yeah, I they didn't get me goosebumps looking at my video coming back in because like I was jumping around the place because that is definitely the best thing I've ever, ever done, you know, like because yeah. of the field, how stacked the field was as well. Like it, it just, it, it just proved that, that, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got like the, the talent or it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, uh, the longest legs in the world or the biggest engine in the world. I always think that hard work beats talent all day long, you know, and one thing I do is I work hard. Yeah. And I think for any athlete, it's the pinnacle of your career to represent your country, especially in a world championships, Ricky, as well. And and as you said, those competitors there last weekend, they're going to be your teammates now for the world championships in, in Austria. Um, talk to me about what your plans are for Austria. You said you're very goal orientated. I'm sure you're going to put the head down now and, and focus on it. Tell me about what you're thinking a week on. Have you had time to absorb it? What you'd like to do? Because, you know, I've been there myself and talking to other lads over the last couple of years, the likes of Gavin and so on. We can be be doing very well and races back home and, you know, think we're the big fish. But but we're a big fish in a small pond. And when we go to Mm. the continent, the standard is, is, is incredible. The Spanish, the, the, the French, the, the Italians, even the English are so good. Um, but Zach Hanna, Zach has, Zach has shown us that it can be done with his yeah. fifth in the World Championships over the... And the Sarah. Yeah. And Sarah, of course, and Sarah, well. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what are you thinking, Ricky? How ambitious can, can you afford to be? Um, well, like, how, much, how much extra can you... Do in your training, given work commitments, family commitments. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, on the on the things, uh, did you get a chance to soak it up and all that? The joys of not being a professional athlete and just being like a run of the mill dude that has a life and has a job. Like it doesn't really sink in because you're straight back to work. You know, I was straight back to work up on a roof doing stupid long days up until today. So today is the first day that I actually got to sit down and go. Do you know what? I was up at my dad's house and I was saying, Dad you've got a 40-year-old son that's going to represent Ireland, you know. But I also said to my dad, Dad, you've got a 40-year-old son that's going to go over and hold his own against the best in the world because I'm not going, I'm doing a Conor McGregor on it. I'm going to say, 
I'm not going there to just take part and make up the numbers. And I've said this to Gavin already, and I've said this to young Killian Fleming, who I want to give a massive, uh, let's say, a shout out right to Killian. I hope he's listening to this because Killian's only, I think, 28 or 29 years of age. You know, that was his biggest mm-hmm. race he's ever done. I think he did one ultra before in Kerry last year where he finished wow. fifth or sixth in it. Yeah, he did the 200. Like he had an enormous race this year. So that's brilliant to see. I'm delighted to see because it's like up and coming, you know, a young lad hungry for success, hungry for this, that and the other. And we were talking to each other the other day about what can we expect when we get over to Austria, you know. And yeah, we trained with each other in the build up to uh, in, in to the build up to the race just because we were down doing recce's around the same time. We just linked up and we ran together. And like I feed off someone like him the same way he feeds off someone like me, the way I feed off someone like you. It's like your standard is above my standard. So I want to get to your standard. That's that's where I want to be. You know, if Owen Flynn's able to run 5K in 15 minutes, Ricky Wynn wants to run 15-minute 5Ks. That's just it, or 13-minute or whatever. Yeah, I don't think that you can put a limit on yourself just because you're from Ireland or just because you're from somewhere that doesn't have altitude or just because you don't have big, big mountains. I think that's a lot of shite because I'm from Leitrim and like no one can say that I'm not one of the best mountain runners in Ireland at the minute right now. Nobody can say that because yep. like I have proven myself, right? That's not me being cocky or arrogant. That's just, that's a fact right now that I'm one of the best mountain runners. I'm from Leitrim. There is no mountains in Leitrim. So I make sure that I get to the mountains. I run on the flat on a greenway, Monday to Friday. On Saturday, I hit the hills, you know. And we'll say for the likes of Austria, Austria is going to have nearly 7,000. I think it's 6,500 meters of climbing in that 80. It's 85K. So I need to do some serious climbing. And no better place to do that on my favorite mountain, Crow Patrick. So I'll be living at the foot of Crow Patrick for the next couple of weeks. Will you have another attempt at the at the Guinness World Record, <laughs> Ricky? Yeah. That you did. Will you be trying to beat that as part of your training? You never know. You never know. But I I leave that. If somebody wants to take that on, they can take that on. And if they beat that, then I'll have another crack at it. But I I, I definitely won't be going up at fifteen times. But I'll be going up at a fair few times now because it's one of the best mountains for those kind of races. Like I did the Lavaredo Ultra Trail a few years ago and I found that Crow Patrick really helped me in that because there's nowhere else that steep. You know, it's almost like yeah. 40% grade on Crow Patrick. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're basically scrambling on some of it, you know, and then nothing beats you up like the downhill. Even the races abroad, like Chamonix there, the 100K, like after that race, yeah, I was broken, but my legs weren't as trashed as going up and down for Patrick five times. I like yeah. for Patrick has cr- smashed my legs and I might have only been up at three times on a Sunday or something, you know? Yeah. And I, I wasn't sure if we'd get to touch on the world record today, Ricky, or not, but, you know, we, we've came onto it in the course of the conversation and it was an incredible thing that you did back last June. I think you raised over. 37,000 euros, probably close to 40,000 in the end for the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association. Um, and I was going to just ask you, what was it like, say, post the the world record attempt? Because so the reason why I'm asking is because all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, you are already a bit of a celebrity, but 
You were on the news. <laughs> you, you were on the news. You were all over, all over the World Wide Web. Um, I, I saw wonderful, wonderful footage. It was brilliant to see of you in a sports car, an open top sports car, going mm. down the main road with a, a band in front of you. And I'm sure your family behind you in the cars. And it was just something really nice. It was just something really nice to see. And w- what I wanted to ask was, did, did you did you really enjoy all that attention, if you like, or did that add any pressure to you to keep on performing and to keep on doing new things? Or did you enjoy that? Yeah, actually, I'm enjoying this kind of celebrity status that I've got now. Uh, again, we're Irish, man. You know, I think that, that uh, we don't do well in those kind of situations as in, yes, by by no means like that was the coolest thing ever as in like <laughs> i actually had no idea that was happening there was a few texts going around like when i was in my uh wife's uh mom and dad's house there was a few texts going around i was like what's going on is something happening here they're doing something we were about to head home like from westport back to Dumshambo, and um i just was thinking there's something happening and then i, I got a little bit of wind that there was going to be something around Leitrim Village. That's like uh, a village where I used to live and play football for, and it's on my way to where I live now. And I thought, okay, there's going to be a little bit of something there. So that was grand. We pulled in on the side of the road and there was a few people there and they came up and they shook my hand and it was flags, a few flags, a few Irish flags. It was brilliant. It was lovely. And I was there. Yeah, that, that was great. That was unreal. Like, and, and that's enough, you know. But then man, we headed into Leitrim Village and then headed <laughs> on for Drumshambo. And it was like it felt. I'm not messing. It felt like, it felt like, I don't know. Like, I was Dublin after winning the Sam Maguire, and I was driving up through uh, O'Connell Street or something like that. It, it, <laughs> uh, was, it was insane. Brilliant. Uh, and, the only and problem it's, it's things that we should do more, Ricky, to celebrate our local heroes more. It's like yeah. something you might see in the American collegiate system when the when the All Star football team comes home and the cheerleaders are all out and the whole yeah. town is out. It, it was great. It was brilliant to see. It was brilliant well, to see. But the difference is, the difference is, like I've won lots of uh, football championships. I've won lots of finals playing football as a kid, all the way up till I was in my thirties. You know, I, I played with some great teams and we won lots of trophies. But when the team drives through the, the village or the town that they're from, it's fine because you're in a car <laughs> hanging out of a window with your friends. When you're on the back of a car with no roof on it and you're on your own, it's very isolating. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's honestly, you don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know where to look. You don't know what you're supposed to do because it's just a roller coaster of emotion. Like it, it was incredible. Like, you know, but at the same time, it, like, it was unbelievable and it was a fantastic time and I'll never, ever forget it. But as you, I would imagine you well know, like, let's say as an athlete or as somebody who considers himself an athlete, I don't think you're ever, ever happy with what you're doing. As in you win a race or you do really well in a race or you, you achieve something fantastic. And maybe it's a, maybe it's something wrong with us in our head that we sort of say yeah brilliant i'm so proud of myself that's it but about 2 days later it's what's next where do we go from here because we can't just sit on this and it's and i feel the exact same way about success as i do about failure if i fail so if i fail then i take a little downtime and then i rebuild and i figure out how not to fail and then if i succeed I take a little bit of downtime and then I figure out how to succeed again. But it's always forward. It's always forward. 
Yeah. Well, isn't it great, Ricky, to be a 40 year old and still think that you can run faster, that you can run further? And hopefully that inspires all the 40 year olds and even 50 year olds listening that you still can do more and go faster, you know, if if you stay on the right track. And speaking of staying on the right track and the right training, I think the listeners might have picked up on it. And as far as I'm aware, you don't have a coach, you, you coach yourself. And just in the first part of the show this week, myself and Rene were talking about the, the key principles of Lydiard training. And one of the key principles is feeling-based training, the ability to adapt to your circumstances. So if it's a Tuesday, but say for someone like yourself who, who might be say up on the, the up in the building site for the whole day, lifting heavy weights, it's just impossible to do a hard session on the Tuesday. So you might wait till the Thursday. And is that one of the keys to your keys to your training that you're very much in tune with your body and you have the the patience and the strength to wait to adapt until you have until the body is ready to run fast? And just to confirm that that you don't have a coach at the minute, first of all. Yeah, hundred percent. I uh, I don't have a coach. Never had a coach, but uh, like. It's funny, right? Because I don't use heart rate. I never use heart rate. Never use it. I have a heart rate monitor on my watch and it's turned on and it is the most inaccurate thing I've ever, ever seen because like, I don't wear my watch tight on my wrist. I never look at that kind of data, right? And maybe I could benefit from something like that. But in my head, I think that if I have numbers, then I have limits. If I have limits where do I go from here? That's, that's kind of the way my brain works. Is and if I, some loads of people have asked me to do VO2 max tests, you know, and I go, no. And then so why? It'd be so cool to see what you're, and that's just no, because then you'd be putting a number on me. I'd see that number and I think that's it. That's my, that's my limit. Whereas in, I'm sorry, there is no limit. There is no limit. Like you can't tell me what I can do. I can't tell me, but I'm going to give it a go. That's the way I'm like. So, I don't use data, I don't use heart rate, don't use any of this stuff. And then going back to the coach thing, I've often thought about it. I often thought, maybe I'd do better if I had a coach. Maybe I would. And I know you're a coach. And I know so many people get benefits from having coaches. They do unbelievable out of having a coach. And nearly everyone I know has a coach. But if I had a coach, I think it'd take the fun out of running for me. You have to understand that I love winning races. I love doing really well. But I love running. Like, I like nothing more than just putting on my shoes and going for a run. And I don't want somebody telling me how to run. I don't want someone telling me on Tuesday you have to do this workout or on Thursday you have to do this workout. And then on Tuesday if I do do it or on Thursday I do do it. And I don't hit those numbers. That would annoy me. And then if that annoys me, then I didn't enjoy that run. And I never want to feel like I didn't enjoy a run. That's yeah. the best way I can explain that. Uh, it, it's a great outlook to have, Ricky, because, I mean, there, there's so many different coaching formulae out there. There's so many different coaching manuals out there. And they all work. <laughs> they all work for different people. You just got to find the approach that works best for you. And it sounds like that you have found the approach that works best for you. And if anybody follows your, your Instagram account, you're full of positivity and full of tips and so on. And I'm sure that Instagram account, you can remind us, Ricky, of the, the tag to get you on now in a second. And um, I'm sure that Instagram account helped you get your sponsorship. And that's something that I wanted to touch on, Ricky, as well. And especially thinking of, say, the, the younger runners who are coming up through Imra at the moment, who are doing well in races, 
how they might go getting sponsorship like you've got. And if it's okay to ask, and you know, if there's no confidentiality contract signed, um, you know, how did how did Hoka approach you? Did you approach them? You know, is it just a matter of, you know, you're getting some very good gear from them or, you know, are you like, say, some of the really good pro continental athletes uh, who are actually getting some cash support as well? If you're comfortable talking about it, Ricky, and apologies if you're not, but just with, with, with the aim of trying to help the younger guys coming through who, who might be hoping to get some sponsorship uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's like, look, we all want to get sponsored, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to get a little bit of help because... You know, this sport is expensive. Shoes are expensive. Flights are expensive. Races are expensive. So any help you can get is greatly appreciated. And for the likes of Hoka, Hoka, I'm with Hoka now just over a year. I think I'm about to renew my contract this month with them as a Hoka racer. Now, a Hoka racer, what that is, what that is, is it's basically I race for Hoka. I uh, promote their stuff, but there's no massive pressure ever put on me. As in, nobody's telling me I have to win races and nobody's telling me I have to post this or I have to post that. I've been a huge Hoka fan since 2016. And that's when I started running. I started, I was running in Adidas Boost or something at the time. And I saw, I went, uh, did an ultra and I saw some dudes wearing um, the Clifton. I think it was the Clifton 2 at the time. And I was saying, what is that shoe? That looks insane. And then just talking to them, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to buy a pair. And I never turned back. You know, I've always stuck with Hoka since. So I always wanted to represent Hoka as an athlete because they've got some incredible athletes like Jim Walmsley. And they, they had Tim Tollefson. Tim Tollefson was like my favorite Hoka athlete. He's gone to craft now. I feel really betrayed. But, <laughs> but um, for me... It was like I was kind of pushing Hoka to look at me. And it was at the time I didn't have a huge following on Instagram. I had maybe maybe 1,500 followers, something like that. And you'd be thinking that's not enough. But they took a look at me and they realized, look, the lad is going around. He's shouting at people. He's telling them to keep showing up. They liked what I was doing. But at the same time, I was getting results in races as well. So not only was I good on Instagram, as in, look, I don't think I'm good on Instagram. I think I'm a little annoying Irish lad that shouts at everybody. But it, it goes down well, right? Yeah. And and uh, so Hoka then, they took me on. And, like, massive thanks to them. You know, so my contract gets me free gear. So I never have to pay for shoes unless I want a certain pair of shoes that they can't get me. Then I okay. buy a pair of shoes. I have no problem doing that. But okay. most of the time, they'll send me gear. So... That's worth a lot of money, as in I go through a pair of shoes every 10 or 12 weeks because we're, we're running or whatever, 120K a week, something like that. So you're, you're flying through shoes. And if you're paying 150 or to be honest, shoes are now nearly 200 euro. That's a lot of 200 euros. So yeah. that's incredible. It's incredible to get that. And if I was to tell somebody, how about how do you go about doing that? And how do you go about getting sponsorship? It's hard to say. It's like you have to have something that a brand wants. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. Like, that is the way it is. It's like, you have to be good on social media for them brands to look at you. You can't just be good at running because that's boring. You know, it is boring to some other people. But yet, if you can be interesting in your social media and you can be good at running, like, because all the pros have to do it. If you look at all the pros, 
they all have Instagram accounts and they're always on Instagram and they're posting photos about their trend and the run and their nutrition they're using. It's just what you have to do nowadays to get looked at. And otherwise you won't get looked at and you won't get free gear and you won't get free entry into races and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's very hard to say how you go about doing it, you know? And I, and I don't, I would never want anyone to obsess about it. Like I never obsessed about, Oh, I have to get this, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's, it just happened for me. You know, it's the same way everything has just happened for me as in I'm here to do one thing and that's to work hard as in I want to be the best. Right. And that's not saying I want to be the best in Ireland or I want to be the best. I want to be my best. You know, I want to be the best runner that I could be. And let's say I was knitting a jumper. I want to be the best person at knitting that jumper. That's just the way I am, you know, and you'd be the same. It's like if you're going to do something, do it right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's all I can say is like you do your best at whatever it is you're doing and you never know good things will happen, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you saw Ricky before Christmas time and the the great Killian Journey um, has launched a pro trail runners association. That's the name of it. It's like if you like a, a trade union for for trail runners. And he's got a lot of the big names signed up alongside him, the likes of Matthew Planchard, Blandy and Harold Rundell, some of the big winners of the big races over the last couple of years, Pablo Villa as well. And the goal of the Pro Trail Runners Association is it's to, it's to protect the rights of trail runners in terms of the commercial aspect of, of what they do. Because, you know, if, if these top guys like yourself go to a, a trail running race. It helps promote that trail running race. It helps sell entries for it. Um, it helps sell shoes. So that association is all about making sure that the athletes are getting a, a suitable financial remuneration from, from the brands, from the races. And, you know, I think we are getting to the stage in Ireland where yourself, the guys, the girls are are, are producing such good results, not only in Ireland, but across Europe where, you know, there might be a time when, yeah, the, the race organizers at home in Ireland might say, well, actually, if you come along today, we'll we'll cover your expenses. We'll give you 300 euros for, for turning up. And I'm sure you'll help us sell an extra 50 race entries. You know, so I think we're very close to that stage. And they're certainly at that stage and have been for a number of years in Spain, France, Italy, etc. Yeah, well, it's a brilliant, brilliant point to bring up because. I saw this last year with Yoon and Quinn and the Seven Sisters race. So the Seven Sisters race is a savage race up in the top of Dun- up in Donegal, and it's uh, 55k with 4,300 meters of elevation. It's a brilliant race, but it doesn't get huge numbers, you know, because it's a scary race. And what he did then was he really ramped up the prize money, as in there was a thousand euro for the winner. But all the way down to fourth place, there was thousand euros, seven fifty, five hundred, and two fifty. That's huge prize money for all male and female athletes. So that's that. I don't know what that comes out to. It's a lot of money, and yeah. for a small race in Ireland, that was unheard of. You know, I've done loads of races where you get no money. You get no money. You get nothing. You get a medal. You get a T-shirt, and that's it. And you just busted your ass to get around that course and break a course record or something like that. And all you get is a, is a medal and a T-shirt. And again, I'm not saying you, you should get more than that. I'm not saying, oh, we should all get this. But it would be nice to get a little bit more because the training 
that I've put in to win some of these races is ridiculous. Like it's yeah. the same with you. You're you we're, we're spending sixteen hours a week training. You know, like that's a lot of time training on top of a week's work. You know, a forty-hour, fifty-hour week. We're busting our asses over here. So it's not like we're holding our hand out looking for money. It's like we're putting the work in to do our best on your race course. Yeah. To make your yeah. race better, you know, because that's what we are. We're advertising your race like by breaking course records, by setting fast times, by finishing on the podiums. We're advertising a race for somebody. And then and without like tooting my own horn, I know lots of people that would enter a race if they knew the likes of me and Gavin and Keith Lane, if they knew we were doing it, they, they'd like to enter that race as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Ricky, you said in one of your posts that, uh, you know, I'm broke financially, but rich in so many ways, and you're dead right. So let's maybe move away from the financial aspect of it, which is so important. But again, this sport of trail running and mental running, it gives us so much more. So let's go back to dreaming, Ricky, and tell me about your future plans. Obviously, you've got the World Championships coming up on the horizon. I, I don't know. Hopefully, your family and your dad is going to be over there with you. Hopefully, they can get over. But after the World Championships, we've touched on that. What are your big goals um, over the next year or two? Is there another head-to-head with Mont Blanc on the cards? What would you like to do? Yeah, well, luckily and thankfully that uh, I did a race in Sweden last year and I placed pretty high on it and that got me enough stones to get back into CCC this year. So I'm heading Great. back to Chamonix for, and I'll see you there. Um, I'm heading back to Chamonix to race the CCC again. And um, because last year, look, for, for, for some people looking in, they'll think, yeah, you did really well in, in the CCC last year. I finished inside the top 100. It's, it's a, a huge achievement. It's like All a world championship stuff. event. I mean, you yeah. know, it's it, it, to come in the top 100, top 85, it's world championship standard. That's how good it is. Yeah. But, but I, I, bet I, you, Nicky, I bet you, I bet you, you want to take it 50 places off that at least. Uh, exactly. Like I was going in there with, with aspirations of finishing inside the top 50. So I will be taking those aspirations back to Chamonix, but with a bigger plan and a better plan. So yeah. this year I'll be doing things a lot different. Whereas in, I'm very fortunate to work with a very good friend of mine. So I'm taking the month of August off. I'm going to go over and camp in a tent in a, on a campsite in the middle of Chamonix. And I'm going to be there from the 1st of August until race day. So Brilliant. I'm going to get a good four weeks training at altitude. And then I have a two week taper, like, you know, so. Yeah, great. great. So, it's, so that's, that's got to stand to me because. Last year, I felt like the altitude kicked my ass and uh, I couldn't eat, I couldn't consume any actual food. I was only sipping on Coke for about 70k. It was like my tummy was in a, a washing machine for, for most of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, listen, Ricky, best of luck with the World Championships. Best of luck with CCC. We, we've been waffling away now for about 40 minutes. We could do another hour, no problem at all. And if people liked what they heard, I, I do encourage them to just to Google you. And there's a couple of other good podcasts out there that cover the early years and so on. And Ricky, listen, best of luck. Please keep up what you're doing with all that positivity, all those little training and racing tips on your Instagram account. And before you go, Ricky, tell us your Instagram account any, anyway, in case anybody isn't on you yet, where can they find you on, on social media? Yeah, so like I'm on Facebook as in Ricky Wynn, but my main account is my Instagram account. That's at Ricky Wynn 10 and it's Ricky okay. with an I. 
Okay, super. Well, Sanuki, all the best in your Italian 90 moments in Austria in a couple of months' time. Enjoy, mate, and best of luck. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap, everybody, for this week. Many thanks to Ricky for coming on the show this week and to Rennie Borg for running Coach Ireland earlier on as well. And we look forward to continuing that Lydiard training chat in about two weeks' time. Well done to all those athletes who made the Irish team after that fantastic trial race in the Morris Mullins. And, guys, good luck, everybody, with your own training and your own racing in the month of April. Before we go, just a reminder to pop over to Patreon to help to support the Trail Running Ireland podcast, if you can, for just three euros a month. Thanks a million, guys. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Tomorrow.